Welcome you all here today. Thank you for being here. Uh, while you get out the notes for today, let me do what we always do and welcome all of our campuses here, not just Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, uh, the folks that will live stream us, the folks that will be listening uh, later on in the future. Uh, however you're a part of the greater JFC campuses, we want to welcome you and thank you for being with us this weekend. Let me automatically uh, make an admission. You're watching a video this weekend, and here's the reason why we're actually in Israel right now. And you might be sitting there going, that was uh, crazy. How could you be there? Because if there was any place in the world I want to be, it's in Israel if Jesus comes back. So I'll take that odd over anything else in the world and, uh, and believe in that. So we're excited about that. And then I also wanted to make an admission to you too. You gave an offering that we're going to be distributing in Israel right now. And I want to thank you for that. When I get back, I'll give you a report as to who uh, it went to and how much. But I just wanted to thank you for your generosity. It was quite kind of you. And we appreciate you listening and being a part of that. All right, we're in a series called Lies. Grab your notes and let's jump right into it at the transition point. I titled this message today, The Devil's Favorite Lie. So maybe I should probably rephrase that for just a second. When I say the favorite lie, he tells many, uh, the Bible says in John chapter 8, he's the father of lies, that when he lies, he's only speaking his native language. That's just what he does. He doesn't know anything else. That's how he operates. So uh, to think outside of him doing anything else but that, that's what he does. But uh, if I say his favorite lie, I guess I'd have to specify his favorite lie to who? He's got lies that I'm sure that he tells to men, lies that he tells to women, lies that he tells to uh, non-believers, lies that he tells to believers. So this would be Satan's favorite lies to believers. That's the, uh, the caveat to this message right here. And then in your notes, I put it this way. Uh, here's the lie manifest. This is what he tells, and this is what he tells to believers. I think it's his most powerful lie, because if you think about this, uh, the lie simply is this. You can't hear the voice of God. You can't hear the voice of God. And if the devil can cut you off from that, then he cuts you off from everything else with Jesus. Just, all you have to do is just follow the trail down. It's, it's just simple theology. But here's what I put in your notes right here. The devil's favorite lie to believers would be, you can't hear the voice of God. Now, here's what we said in the very first message. The way that the enemy works is he has no power to come in and make you believe or disbelieve anything. He, he is not given some... some um, some uh, great ability to come in and to control you. He talks, and we can come into agreement with him. And when we agree with him, we empower a lie in our life. And it works the same way with God. God gives us promises. He gives us his word. And when we come into agreement with it, we empower his word or his promises in our life. It's who you come into alignment with, who you agree with, and who you say yes to that determines the life that you're going to live from what you say yes to. So the devil's lie then simply to a believer would be, you can't hear the voice of God. As pastors, if you were to ask any of our pastors, even our teaching team, uh, recently at a meeting, we discovered that really is the number one thing that we hear from believers. I can't hear the voice of God. I don't know how many times you've said that. Here's the problem. When you say it, it's the proof that the devil has talked you have agreed, and now the manifest of the lie is, I can't hear the voice of God. The lie was, you can't hear the voice of God. It manifests, or you agree when you say, I can't hear the voice of God. So if you want to know if you bought into it, if you ever say the words that he has said to you like, I can't hear the voice of God, even if you say it's true, it's still a lie. 
All right, so how do I know it's a lie? Because this is what Jesus said. Look, look at these, look, look, just John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my what? My voice, I know them, and they follow me. So if the devil's lie is, you can't hear the voice of God. If you come into agreement, then you manifest it this way. I can't hear the voice of God. The way we know it's a lie is because Jesus said the opposite. My sheep know my voice. If you say you can't hear his voice, you've agreed with the devil, not with Jesus. So even if you sit there and you go, the reality is I don't hear from God. Here's what you need to do. Agree with Jesus. I can hear the voice of God. Because until you agree with him, you won't hear his voice. Agree with him. I can hear the voice of God. All right, now, if you can agree with that, and that's true, then let's do this right here. This scripture in John 10, 27, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I think there's four things right here. You can look at it either way. You can start at the end and back up, which I'll do when I come to the end of this, or start at the front and go forward. And I just call it four simple connections to hearing the voice of God. This is what Jesus is teaching. The first one is, he says, my sheep. Now, let me say this. So here, here, here would be the proof that the devil would try to throw to you. So Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. You're not hearing his voice. Therefore, you're not his. There's how the lie continues on. All right, so I, I would say this in the most kind and the most encouraging pastoral way I know how. Settle this issue. If you do not, this is not a tension to be managed. Do not wrestle with this in your life over the years. Settle the issue and regardless of, listen to me, regardless of your feelings, regardless of your circumstances, or regardless, look at the notes right here, regardless of physical evidence, settle the issue that you are his sheep. And here's what I mean. If you find habits in your life that are not consistent with what we claim to be a believer or what the Bible says is a disciple, that's physical evidence, right? If you find physical evidence in your life where you're like, hey, a sheep doesn't do this, you still don't say that I must not be a sheep. You're a sheep who has a problem. <laughs> yes or no? That's what it is. So it's not, never go, I'm not a sheep. Because again, you're agreeing with the enemy. You're not agreeing with Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. So that if you look at physical evidence, like I've got a habit inconsistent with truth. That makes you human, and it actually is the proof you're born again because you don't even know you have habits inconsistent with truth until you're born again, and your conscience tells you this isn't right. It's actually the proof, but we never see it for that. We see it as fodder for the devil to have fun. All right, how about the other one right here? So my feelings, my feelings. I don't know if you've ever said this. I don't feel like I'm born again, or I don't feel like I'm a believer or a Christian, or I don't feel like I'm saved. If you know the vernacular, that's how people who have been around for a while, I don't feel like I'm saved. I don't know what it feels like to be saved for sure, but I do know this is true, that Jesus did all the work for me, and if I trust in him, then as sure as I'm standing here, whether I feel it or not, it's not based on my feelings, it's based on what's truth, I am his sheep. And then last but not least, I just throw it down, and I think look at this one real quick, because it's important, uh, regardless of your circumstances, this is probably the one where I would say if he can't get you uh, on like, uh, okay, so I don't feel this way, or he can't get you on physical evidence, then he's gonna try to get you on, I'm gonna prove to you, you can't hear his voice and you're not his sheep because of circumstances in your life. So the truth would just simply be this. There are always, we live in a fallen world and there are always circumstances around us 
that the devil wants to use to say to us, it's not true. God's not faithful or it's not working or if you really love God, you wouldn't fill in the blank. Any of those things, you cannot live by the principles of this world. You must live by spiritual, at some level, we've got to lift up spiritual truth and what Jesus said, higher than anything in this world. So physical evidence, my feelings or even, even the stuff around me that just doesn't make sense or seems like, God, if God was really for me, these things wouldn't, my circumstances. That's not true. You cannot live by that. Settle the issue. The first thing that you should do in going to God, if this is an issue in your life where you feel like, I'm just not sure, I, I just don't have this certainty, that's the first thing you should confess when you go to God. I am yours, you are mine, because you said so. That settles the issue for me. If that's an open issue, the devil will beat you with that issue, and if he gets you with that issue, he'll get everything else in your life. He's not satisfied just to make you feel like you're not a sheep. He wants to destroy you. Can't give him an inch. All right, so I put in here, so Jesus then teaches these four things. They're my sheep, settle the issue. Here's what I would say in looking at that. Look at the next two verses past uh, 27. So this is just context. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And then he teaches this. I give them, my sheep, eternal life, right? Let me try this again. I give them, my sheep, eternal life, right? Yeah. This is what God gives. And they shall never perish. Now look at this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then he raises it to the ultimate level of authority. Look at this. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So if it's not good enough for you to tell, have Jesus tell you that no one can take you from his hand, he raises it to the ultimate level. No one's going to snatch you out of God's hand. And if Jesus gives you eternal life, the devil's not big enough to take it away. All right, now, now, I think you think that picture like no one can snatch us out of God's hands. God's hands are big, and we're just in the middle of God's hands. Wrong picture. It's a word picture. So here's the picture. All of you who have children, at some point, for the safety of your child, I bet you grab their hand crossing a street. I hope none of you were like, hey, fare thee well, and <laughs> off you go. I don't think any, that's not a good father. <laughs> True? So I, I bet they're, or at an amusement park. So we had uh, recently the invitation uh, to join our grandkids at Disneyland. Part of that experience was it was so crowded, so many people that to get around required, uh, and so many kids, grab a hand and don't let go of a hand. In the safety of that hand, you transport them around. Here's the truth. Nothing could break my grip on that hand right there. Try to take them out of my hand and find what happened. See, this is, it's not like devil fighting God. It's big God, small devil. Big hand, no power to take anybody out of his hand. If he said he holds you in his hand, the safety of that is true and it's real and it's right. And I bet all of you have had that experience. How wonderful when I think back to even, I could, I could even, when putting together this message and thinking of this example, I could remember times with all five of mine when they were little of a time where I grabbed their hand and just held their hand. And I can think of it now with my grandkids, how precious that is for me, what it means for me for them to grab my hand, but what it means for them. You know the safety for a kid when a father grabs a hand. Everything's gonna be okay. I'm gonna get you through this. Come on. And that's what God is saying right here. You're mine. I got you. Is that the way to say it? I got you. It's all good. All right, so let me give you the next one. So he says, my sheep listen to my voice. Now, I wanna give a quick tribute to a pastor, my pastor. His name's John Stocker. Pastor John 
the only way I could say this is my time with him, my six years serving him, has served me well for 16 after. And here's what I mean by that. Most of the time that I was with him, um, I didn't have any advice for him. He was a man who was far superior to me, still is. He was a man who had life experience. He was 20 years my senior. He had life experience. He had raised his children. He had, he had pastored a church, started a church. It was a, everything that he had done were things that I wanted to do. I had no advice for him. He was ahead of me in every single way. Does that make sense? So I spent primarily most of my time listening to what he had to say to me. And here's the truth that I didn't realize at the time. I just kept thinking, oh, I want to get as much as I can. I want to learn as much as I can. Here's what I found to be true. Now when I go through things, because I listen to him, I have a point of reference for almost everything that I go through, and my time with him has served me well. And here's the difference between listening and talking. When you listen, you receive, and when you talk, you're trying to give. So Jesus says, my sheep listen. One of the things my pastor taught me was the art of listening, not just to him, but to Christ. Most of all I was ever taught about prayer was time. Spend the amount of time. Give God the first amount of your time. Give him enough time. Most of your prayer, if you really come to the right conclusion, is not you talking, it should be you listening. Because if Jesus speaks and you're talking, you really can't hear him. But if he talks and you're quiet, you can hear him. And most people do not practice the art of listening, and it is an art. Try it. Try it today. Go home and just be quiet and listen. Watch what happens. You'll have to learn how to do it. It's a discipline to be learned. But to listen is everything because in the listening is the impartation of truth. I recently had a situation that I had to handle our trip with Israel. Right now, it, it's, I mean, it's calm now, but two, three weeks ago, it was crazy. And I'm praying, do we go? Do we not go? What do I do in this situation? And my time with him and walking in pastoral authority was something that I knew immediately. This is what I have to do. You don't go for consensus, lead. Where did I learn that? Listening to my pastor lead. So what I did was to take then my campus pastors this time, and this is what I told them. Come to this meeting, sit in the back. I don't need you for moral support. I don't need you to tell me what you think I should do. I want you to sit in the back and watch and listen so that when you're faced with this at some point in your life, yeah, there's an impartation that's going to you now. When we listen, impartation happens, and it may not be something that's necessary right then, but when the time frame comes for you to use it, you have a point of reference for what to do. You know instantly, here's, I'll step into the moment. And most people miss the moment because they don't know what to do because they're talking all the time. It is better than good. It's awesome. Just listen to me. So here's... Here's, here's what Jesus says. My sheep, listen to my voice. Third, I know them. This is a great one. I know them. So the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, has multiple words for no. And I, I would taught on this years and years ago. The, here's the whole idea. Some of you may be familiar with it. You could probably just pick out very quickly how this works. But let's say that uh, we, have, we have the four campuses and I, I teach primarily from the Lone Tree campus, uh, and, and Lakewood is across town from us. Okay, uh, Pastor Evan and Emily, they pastor that church right there. Now, I say I know Lakewood because I, I know Lakewood. I'm invested in Lakewood. But when Evan says I know Lakewood, he has a completely different understanding when he says I know them. What's the difference? Evan's experience with them makes him very intimate with that group of people. 
Some of you sitting here today, you, you, you work for us or you've been in this church for a long period of time. You hear me talk about my family. So if you had a conversation with someone, you could say, I know Chris Leach, my wife. I know her. But when I say I know her and you say you know her, how many of you know that's two different things? You know her here. You, you know her through things that have been said or, or, or things that, that you observe from a distance. But I am intimately, physically acquainted with this woman. We share much history together. 30 years of marriage, five children, six grandchildren, uh, a multitude of ministry and life together. The intimacy that we have, we know each other because we've intimately experienced each other. So when Jesus says, I know my sheep, it's not I know them, I know who they are in theory. I know them because I experience them intimately. Now let's reverse that. If he knows us, we're supposed to know him. All right, John chapter 8, let, let me give you a revelation. This is, this is something Jesus just showed me. Maybe you knew this. Maybe you've been aware of this. Maybe you're like, you dumb pastor, how could you not know that? I just didn't put two and two together. But in John chapter 8, Jesus says these very famous words. You'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set It'll set you free or make you free, depending on your translation. So let me tell you how most of us interpret that. That at some point, we come to a great theological understanding, knowledge, or revelation. And through that revelation of theology or understanding, we step into freedom. And I just want you to know, a, a mental ascent to truth will never cause you to step into freedom. There are people who know the truth all day long, and it doesn't help them at all. So let me, revelation. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the, and I'm the life. All right, so let's put this together then this way. Jesus said, you'll know, and that word there is intimate experience. You will intimately experience the truth, and then the truth will make you free. Here's what he's saying. You will intimately experience me. And through knowing me and a life in me and an understanding of who I am and how I translate that to you, you will be free. He is freedom. There is no freedom in knowledge alone. There are people so educated all over the world and they're in nothing but bondage because of their education. Their education actually keeps them from the truth. So that there's not the power in education, it's the power in who brings the education. Jesus is the truth. As we know him and as we experience him and as we're intimate with him, we know the truth. So this is here, my sheep know my voice, listen to my voice, and I know them. And let me go to the fourth one, and then I'll show you a principle where you can turn it around. The last one is just simply this. So I know them. And last but not least, they follow me. They follow me. I had a conversation recently with a bunch of our pastors on ministry that we're doing. Part of the question in the ministry that we're doing just simply is, uh, is this our ministry or is it God's ministry? That's, that's a question every pastor should have to ask all the time. It's not, a, uh, it, it's not one of those things where, okay, uh, so like uh, when we started out, this is what God told us to do. We still have the responsibility every day to ask, God, is this what you want us to do today? And, and a scripture that came to my, to my mind that I, I think is so easy to forget, sometimes once something gets going, it gets so big, and, it, and all, everything that we do goes to service that big thing that it's difficult to ask, should we still be doing this thing? Is this still the direction we're supposed to be going? And it's the right thing to stop, to back up, and to ask. Like Israel had to ask, where's the glory cloud at right now in our lives? All right, here's how, this is, this in, in some ways, I'm jealous of this. 
But in some ways, we don't understand how much easier we have it. Israel, their responsibility simply was this. They had a cloud by day and a fire by night. Wherever the cloud went, they followed the cloud. If the cloud stopped, that's where they set up camp. And as long as it stayed, they had camp there. If the cloud moved, their responsibility was to move. In the nighttime, you can't see a cloud, so God turned it into a pillar of fire. And if he moved at nighttime, all they had to do was follow the fire. But here was their problem. They didn't want to follow. So we go, stupid Israel. What was wrong with them? How about this? We have the Holy Spirit, which is much more intimate than a fire or a cloud. And yet we don't listen to the Holy Spirit when he moves. And our responsibility is to always follow, to never ask God to follow us. Yes or no? So that even if we're doing stuff and we're like, God, bless this, bless this, bless this. It it may have been something that he's so blessed in your life and at a time when you were just like, and then it's easy because he did it for so long to just go, well, of course that's what God's doing. Our responsibility is every day to look to see if the cloud moved. And if it did, we have no choice if we want to be where God is. How about this? God is apt to move. He is apt to change direction. He is apt to go where he wants to go. He is God. We are not God. We follow him. He doesn't follow us. And the day we make that mistake, it's a tragic mistake in life. Not just ministry, but in life. God, we always are responsible to have to follow after God, to follow after what he's saying, to listen to him, and to do what he's telling us to do. And I tell you, it's such a difficult thing because as things just get... They just get busy and they get big and they get ongoing. It's so easy just to assume, assume, assume. And that's not intimacy. Intimacy is the necessity to always have to hear instantly. This is what God's doing and this is what he wants. All right, so let me turn this around and show you. You could take this scripture. I think that Jesus gives like, okay, if you looked at it like, uh, here's four connectors to hearing the voice of God. You could do it in the way that he said it, like my sheep. Listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. Like, okay, like, like it's linear. My sheep, uh, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You could do it that way, or you could just simply turn and go the other way and start at the end of it and go the other way. Okay, his sheep follow him because they know him, and because of that, they listen to his voice, and by listening to his voice, they are his sheep. And where do you get that from? Okay, the scripture I quoted to you from John 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, begins with this. If you keep my commandments, you are my disciples. And then he says, now you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So in change, he's just saying the same thing. If you can connect the two things, he's saying the same thing. When we follow him, we're his disciple. So he's saying in John 8, if you're my disciple, do my works, then you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Here's he's just saying the same thing. Follow me. Because you follow me, we're intimately acquainted with each other. When we're intimately acquainted with each other, you hear my voice. And when you hear my voice, you're my sheep. All right, so come to the end of a message like this. And the real issue is, uh, what do we do with it? Here's the simple thing. Here's, here's the mistake. Here's the, here's the easy get off. Okay, so God, we, we want to hear your voice. Uh, uh, we're, we're here. We're ready. Speak to us. Um, how do I say this? Uh, while I don't think that the way we end our services is wrong, I think it is spirit-led, I think it's what God, to try to connect to him at the end is exactly what he wants. The problem is we make it like an easy get-off. You have five minutes to speak to me. I'm listening right now, I'm listening. I'm prepared, I'm listening. And here's what I know about God. Seldom does he move in our time frame. So that most of us 
can fool ourselves by thinking, okay, I tried to listen to God today and you know, I didn't really hear anything, so I'm just gonna keep doing what I will. I, I think that God has something specific for all of us, but unless we get serious about actually being intimate with him, and that will not happen in five minutes at the end of a service or going to a cross or taking communion, although it can, I mean, you can do anything, but it's not limited to, we go to church for an hour and 15 minutes and all the intimacy that I, if this isn't practice on an ongoing basis, then this, it doesn't change that you're his sheep, but the devil will beat you and beat you up bad if you don't hear his voice because he will constantly use it as an accusation that his sheep hear his voice and you're not hearing his voice. But there's a caveat here. And that caveat is it cannot be done. So it's not gonna be done. While God can speak clearly in worship times, what if God is saying, I, I want you to come after me hard and I want you to find me? I know there are deliberate times God has made me come find him where there are seasons where it's real easy and seasons where it's harder. And here's the, the, the trick to it is God's asking, you gonna come after me no matter what? Or do we have a Christianity totally based, a God in our image and a Christianity that really is about us and not him? I, I know, I, I don't know if you even hear what I'm saying right now. God, the easy get off. I just pray, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Then we all feel good. It anesthetizes our conscience. But did you hear from God? Did you hear his voice? What did he say? That's bottom line. What did he say? So what do you do with it? There has to be a place. The best this can be is an equipping time to encourage somebody to do something. It can't just be the four walls of here. It can't just be the four walls of your campus that you're sitting in right now or your car that you're listening in or your earphones that you hear this through. This has to be life. And therein, I know when I say that right now, I wonder if it penetrates to the level where you really are you hearing Enough to pursue. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe that's, that's the get-off point. Scott, what do you want to do with this? What would you have me do this week with this? What should change in my life to pursue this? Not, I'm going to give you five minutes, so speak to me real quick, and then I need to get to lunch. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying or not. It's the sovereignty of God that I'm talking about right now. He's infinite, we're finite. He's it, we're his creation. Our job to listen and to move after him. And somehow we've turned it into, God, here's my little time schedule. Speak real quick to me. God bless what I'm doing, not God, what are you doing? I don't know what else to do about that except it, this becomes superfluous than to try, to try to say more. So Holy Spirit, that's exactly where we bring a message to is a point of action and a point where you can do something with it. And Father, we, we, we don't, well, what's the right word here? God, we don't come with an expectation 
Church, listen to me, please. Try to rightly divide what I'm saying. We don't come with an expectation for you to speak to us in five minutes, although we want you to speak to us right now. But we come with an expectation, God, that you want us to pursue you. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he's near. Through Christ, you are. You're near. You're here. The Spirit of God lives in us now. But it's our job, God, to pursue you, to make you the priority, to put you above all else. God, we're not trying to fit you in amongst the many things in our life. You take priority over all of those things. Father, maybe the main thing would be this, that if a believer sits here today and goes, I just don't hear the voice of God, are you willing to pursue him to hear it? Does it matter that much to you? So I wonder if you sit here and not hearing the voice of God, maybe you don't understand what you're missing. He's not a path to life. He is life. And the exchange that we get when we hear his voice is fuel, it's energy, it's vision, it's safety, it's joy. And to not hear his voice, huh? to not hear his voice then forces us to try to read the word and pull things from it. Okay, I'll do this and I'll do that. I heard a pastor recently that was teaching who said this, He said, we today spend more time fighting about a word, the word of God, that the church 2,000 years ago didn't have yet, rather than enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit that they did have. And we end up missing the power of the first century church. I think what he's saying is when we don't hear that voice, we're forced just to use the Bible to try to be the, okay, I'll hear the voice of God through the scripture, and certainly he speaks that way, but nothing is greater than him talking to us and us talking to him. God, how much is that going on in our lives? So I just leave the weight of that and the place of that to be something that the Holy Spirit can work on and move on, and I pray that you would draw people God, don't let us easily just move on from this. Draw us, cause us to have to answer the question in our heart about this. And we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Okay, our worship pastors will come at all of the campuses to close it out. I'm not exactly sure how your campus pastors will close this message altogether. I think ultimately it's going to be a time where maybe beyond just God, here's your slot Maybe the weight of the words of the Holy Spirit need to penetrate deeply to cause us to say, God, this week, how will I pursue you? Or this month, how do I go after God? Or with my life, how will I pursue him now? And let's let that be the thing that we focus on. Amen.